0: Hi, this is Brandon Stone, one of the producers of On Leadership. Because today's interview focuses largely on the photography of our guest, DeWitt Jones, we encourage you to watch the video version available at resources.franklincovey.com. Thanks. Hello and welcome back to the Franklin Covey On Leadership series. I'm Scott Miller. I serve as your weekly interviewer and host. Today is an interesting experience for all of us. We have, via his home in Molokai, Hawaii, the famed storyteller and photographer, really leadership expert, DeWitt Jones joining us as he shares some vast images around challenging our perspectives on life. DeWitt, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, Scott. You know, I love my set, but I think I love yours a whole lot more. Yeah, the, uh, the happy police haven't found me yet. I'm very <laughs> happy. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about what led you to live in Molokai. Uh, well, I loved all the other islands. I've come over here many times on vacation,
1: never thought of living here. And then a good friend, another National Geographic photographer, asked me to come over to Molokai where he was living. And I discovered an Island that was like going back in time. There's not a stoplight on this Island. There's not a building over two stories. There's not an elevator an escalator, a piece of neon. Uh, 60% of the people who live here are Hawaiian. So it's like living in another culture. And yet you're a 20 minute flight from uh, Honolulu. So it's a spectacular rural setting, uh, with very few people. And most of the rest of Hawaii is really crowded. And uh, as my wife says, it's like living in amniotic fluid. Um, <laughs> the temperature
0: is just magnificent all the time. Well, I'm excited to switch houses. In the month of March, you can have mine in Salt Lake and we'll take yours in Molokai. How's that? So, sounds awful from my perspective. <laughs> but we have a guest <laughs> Sounds house. great from uh, mine. Uh, we have a lovely guest house, so come anytime. DeWitt, So honored to have you today. Your work is uh, really kind of speechless. It's so profound, the journey you've been on. I'd love to spend a couple of minutes talking about your history, kind of what your career has been like, your work with National Geographic, how your passion turned in to an amazing vocation and inspiration. For those of you who may not be familiar with your work, talk a bit about your journey, if you will.
1: Well, um, I've been a fan of the Geographic since I was, you know, it could from the time I could read, probably before that, with my family taking me through the pictures. And uh, when I was a senior at Dartmouth, uh, four of us had an idea, crazy idea, of kayaking 1,100 miles up the coast of Japan on kind of a people-to-people expedition. And uh, we asked the geographic if they, if they would let us do a story on it and uh, actually i talked them into letting me do a film on it that was my master's thesis at ucla in filmmaking and uh, then i came back around and got a job as a still photographer with them so for the next 20 years i traveled the world shooting stills uh, for geographic and it was a phenomenal experience um, and taught me a lot and then uh, later on in my career i wanted to get into keynote public speaking after Doing all kinds of things in photography, and found when I looked at the lessons that I learned in photography, that a lot of them transferred directly over to our our creativity, our openness, the way, the kinds of perspectives we are able to find in our business and our lives. And so, for the last 20 years, I've made my uh, my vocation as being a, a keynote inspirational speaker.
0: Which is, I think, so fitting because unlike a lot of photographers, your ability to create a story, a leadership lesson out of the images that you've taken is really profound. It's one of the premises behind the book that you co-authored with one of our founders, Dr. Stephen R. Covey and Roger Merrill. Tell us a little about the, the nature of this book, the nature of leadership.
1: Well, it was originally a Roger's idea, and I, I'm sure he had talked to Stephen about it. But Roger is a very good photographer, and he called me up and spun this idea. And I was already, you know, trying to use metaphors from nature in my lecturing. And uh, he said, would you like to do the photography of it? And at that point, I didn't know Roger very well. He said, well, I'm a photographer, too, and I'd like to throw in some images. And I went, oh, no, help me. (laughs) But it turns out that Roger is not only a fabulous writer, but he's a very, very good photographer. So we had a remarkable collaboration, looking at images and pulling out of them, the metaphors that would, that would help with somebody working on their leadership skills. And uh, Steven came in on top of that. And together we just had a, a, a remarkably good time putting this book together.
0: Well, the book is a masterpiece. It's been out for over 20 years. I still have several copies. We have one on our coffee table at home let's talk today now about really why you're here and that's to talk about perspective and different opinions and how nature can help remind us of you know as a leader listening thinking and seeing things from different angles our our time together today will be you showing a series of different photographs and us having a bit of a conversation around what we can learn from those as parents as teachers, as leaders, as friendly, as humans. Let's, let's kind of get into that meat, if you will. We've got about 10 or 12 sets of different photographs. The first one really is about how perspective is key to flexibility. I'm gonna uh, reference my notes as well. You mentioned that um, the key to flexibility is the belief, the mindset that there's more than one answer to a problem. Let's put up the first image and have you kind of talk us through these, DeWitt
1: what we're going to show first is a series of images of frigate birds that I took down in the Galapagos. And as a photographer, you take a lot of pictures and what it underlines is that there's more than one right answer. As we go through these pictures, you'll see, you know, four or five different really nice photographs, quite all quite different, but all excellent. Uh, One of the things when I started looking at flexibility and creativity was that, you know, by the time we graduate from, from college, we've taken maybe 2,500 multiple choice tests. They've all helped our teachers and professors know whether we understood what they were teaching us. But the unintended consequence was that they teach us that there's, more than, there's only one right answer. You don't get to say, well, actually I like A, B, C, and D, or I like C and a little bit of a B. No, there's one answer. And so then we ask people to go out and be creative, to think out of the box and that doesn't work very well. We've been, we've been taught for a long time that there's one right answer. Photography continually teaches you that there's more than one right answer. And when you actually believe that, when it sinks into you deep enough to really resonate with you, then you really do embrace change rather than fear it. Uh, and I went up to the Redwoods in California at one time and uh, here's a shot where I was, you know, out there, it was beautiful, it was lovely, but that's more of a postcard. It's not, it's not going to shake them up at the geographic. So I'm trying everything I can think of. I, I, I got in the photograph myself to try and give it some perspective. Still wasn't very good, but I believe there's more than one right answer. And eventually I'm down on the ground in the mud on my back and i took this picture with the rhododendron in the foreground and actually not only did that run double page in the geographic i've sold that picture more than any any image that i've ever taken in my life so when i show the images to people when i speak they get that idea they see it visually and if they can translate that to their life you know to say well when my son came in and told me he was doing doing something that I didn't like, how many options did I give him? How many options did I give my client last week? Uh, Two, well, the average geographic article when we were shooting film there was shot in 400 rolls of film. That's over 14,000 images to get the 30 that go in an article. And now with digital, it's twice that. So I'm I'm not thinking about, did I make a mistake? I'm just looking for the next right answer. And that's the kind of flexibility that any leader can use to allow them to find the extraordinary image rather than the ordinary image.
0: You know, DeWitt, that is a great leadership lesson is when you're challenging my thinking as a leader. A lot of leaders think we have the answer, we're paid to have the answer. And when we think we have the answer, we sometimes will lead our team to our answer. And that when you change your paradigm, that there's more than one answer to a problem, you can begin also thinking outside the box. Well,
1: actually you get to the point that there isn't any box. You know, you are just, you. you any leader will have uh, a tactical way forward and a vision, but you constantly are trying to up that. So uh, here's a picture I took of Yosemite Falls. Uh, it's a beautiful image. Uh, It's an image that if that was your mission statement, you'd be proud of it. But I just, here's another image where I just changed a lens. I didn't even move from where I was. I just changed my perspective and now the falls and the single tree and you have something that's really breathtaking. Uh, So it's, it's not, it's believing there's more than one right answer and when you're both in your life and in your business, it's continually finding the next right answer. So you're never satisfied with where you are. You're always looking for the next right answer.
0: Do what you talk about the difference between a good frame and a great frame. And I had not thought about that as a leadership lens. You've got some great images coming up around the spider web and such. We're going to walk through those. Talk about your passion around the differences between good and great frames.
1: Well, one of the things that that I found not only are you always pushing it uh you know the good can be the enemy of the great in the sense that you stop pushing you say hey man i've done it it's a great frame no the geographic when you were taking a portrait of of somebody they said you stop when it gets too dark to shoot or the guy walks away you know otherwise you keep looking for that next right answer you keep pushing it so here's a picture of a spider web that i took it's a beautiful frame it's a lovely frame i would be very happy with it and i am it's one right answer but i kept going and then i found this image where you have the sun coming through the web just another frame but in this case i think way more beautiful and one of the things that i found and this is another leadership lesson is that for a photographer the difference between a good frame and a good i'm sorry between a good frame and a great frame is usually measured in millimeters, not miles. When you kind of roughed out the situation, then you're you're using your camera, you're moving back and forth, all of a sudden there's a smile on somebody's lips, there's a glint in somebody's eye, you have a little bit of light you didn't have before, and you have moved from a good frame to a great frame. When I think about that in my business, it's like I don't have to collapse everything to move to the next stage. I take all that I've garnered and built which is good, and start
0: tweaking that to move from a good frame to an extraordinary frame. DeWitt, you shot for the National Geographic for how many years? 20 years. And how many photographs have you taken over the course of your career? Oh, uh, I would say millions. And how many have been seen by the public in some kind of in-state?
1: Uh, probably hundreds of thousands or, I mean, and that's only because of social media, Uh, you know, before social media came around, I had 10 books, I'd done gallery shows, uh, I'd done uh, training films where my images were used and I'd gone out and lectured, but now with social media, uh, you know, I have, I have thousands of followers and I, I put up images every day on, on Facebook and Instagram and I talk about the lessons of them. I mean, it, it's fine just to share a lovely photograph, but that's not what really interests me. What interests me is what I learned from it and what I could translate to somebody else that it might help them.
0: How were how you inspired to move from becoming simply, and I mean that not as an insult, simply a photographer, to becoming a storyteller and narrator around how those photography, how the photographs, you know, relate and inspire us in our lives. Cause that's a unique genre that you maybe not created, but certainly, you know, brought voice to.
1: Yeah, I, I had an opportunity um, about halfway through my geographic career uh, where a magazine called Outdoor Photographer asked me if I wanted to write a column. And I said, listen, I'm not, I, I don't think of myself as a writer and I'm not a techie so I don't know that I have anything really to say. And the editor of the magazine said, write whatever you want. And so I started to write about what I learned from my photography. And that set me up for a career of lecturing later. I really went back, and that's what most photographers don't do, looked at not only the images, but the way, the process in what, in, that I went through in taking pictures and said, You know, have I learned anything from that? And, you know, thinking about, well, I learned not to be afraid of making mistakes. Uh, If I shot 14,000 images, I didn't care. The question wasn't how many good ones or bad ones. The question, and it really is the only question in business too, is did you get it? Uh, Nobody goes back and says, wow, you sure shot a lot of pictures to get that one. They only care that you come back with it. and. you know, I've used that many times in my own life when I thought, uh, God, that was a setback, that was a mistake. No, you just haven't found the the next right answer yet. And it gives me the courage and the fortitude to keep
0: going. We're showing the photograph now of Lynette in front of the rainbow. And you talk a lot about the importance of putting yourself in the place with the most potential and then opening your eyes, I guess both literally and metaphorically. What do these coming photographs talk about to that point?
1: Well, that's, that's just something that you did automatically as a photographer, but sometimes in my own life, both in business and in, and in my family, I don't do that. I don't put myself in the place of most potential. But you know, when, when uh, the photo of my wife and the rainbow, Well, there are two things there. One is that the place of most potential, obviously, that evening was the rainbow. But then I stepped back and and took the different angle of said, you know, instead of just photographing the rainbow, made the rainbow come right into her iPhone where you don't know if she was receiving it or generating it. You know, I just tried to tweak the image a little bit and look for the next right answer. Uh, Next image in South Lake Tahoe in the middle of September, it decided to snow and so that created a place of most potential something different something new something to look at uh i went outside took a bunch of people walking down the road <coughs> enjoying the little bit of snow that we were going to have but the next right answer was after they left was the fun shot was just the tracks in the street and i wouldn't have i wouldn't have gotten there if i hadn't put myself in the place of most potential The next shot is a shot of uh, some hoodoos at Arches National Park. And what I learned there is that you've got to be open to extraordinary visions that you never thought possible, right? That's an interesting shot, not great light. I could have waited for better light, but what I didn't know earlier was how to photograph at night and how to photograph stars. And because of the technical advances in cameras, I was able to go to that spot, wait there when the, when the Milky Way came up later at night and get the next shot, which is really extraordinary. So there it's a case of, of using new technology, but still
0: putting yourself in the place of most potential where that can all come together. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Some of these next photographs too, these, these are just breathtaking, right? I mean, you talk about the necessity of training your technique so that you know you have the right perspective or a new fresh perspective, talk through that concept.
1: So here's a picture of a tripod set up with my camera on it before a little stream in the Sierra. It's noon, the light is terrible. It's, they're just not landscape pictures to be had at that time of day. But I know my technique, I know my cameras, I know how to push them in ways that most people don't so there in the middle of the day with with terrible contrasty lighting i was able to put a neutral density picture neutral density filter on my camera and get the next shot of where i blurred out that that little rapids into a you know a beautiful piece of sculpture so if you don't train your technique if you don't know how to do your job whatever it is it's very hard to take advantage when you know, nature or the market or, or the particular buying patterns of somebody come together and you don't know what to do with it. So always the base of it was, was training my technique. Here's a picture of an elk thistle, uh, in Montana, in the Bob Marshall wilderness and nice shot. But again, playing with different lenses and a couple filters, I was able to make it into an extraordinary shot
0: um almost looks underwater
1: yeah it does and the last one of uh of balloons going up in uh the reno balloon festival is one if i didn't really know my technique i would never have been able to get the exposure balance off the uh, the balloons reflecting in a little lake, being in the place of most potential going out there in you know in pitch darkness but realizing there was this lake there and I go, oh, I can see the shot. I know where it's going. I know those balloons are going to go up and then they're going to reflect in the lake. So I set all the technology up to get that. And then I was able to get the decisive moment. So you've got to do two things. You've got to be really flexible. You've got to be able to anticipate in, in, in photography. You've got to be able to believe there's more than one right answer. You've got to put yourself in the place of most potential. You've got to train your technique. And all of those translate just beautifully to if you're in a leadership
0: position. Wait, let's take a side track for just a moment before we go to the next images. All of us are taking photographs every day of the week. Right now, since the explosion of the iPhone and, and mobile phones with cameras, we're all now amateur photographers and we're posting on social. What are some uh, just basic tenets you might give people on how we take better photographs? Well,
1: first of all, it's true. Everybody thinks they're a photographer. When I finish a lecture now, I'll spend an hour taking selfies. Nobody asks for an autograph anymore. <laughs> they want they want a selfie. And, and I think that's great. And I think we're beginning to speak to each other visually now in a way that uh, humanity has never done before and seeing the real power of images. Um, to me I always ask, you know, what's the story? And and a lot of times people don't do that or they allow their own eyes to focus in on the picture of their grandson and miss all the nonsense that that is in the picture that's distracting you from it. So if you can really ask yourself, what's the story of this picture, you can usually get a better frame. Secondly, there thousands of apps but some of them like snapseed which is owned by Google is is an amazing way to play with your pictures afterwards to bring out the story so that you can translate it to somebody else when you send them this tiny little picture on a phone uh, but for a leader it's a way to stay creative it's a way to say uh, you know I'm busy I can't Think of myself as a creative person. Well, yes, you can. Everybody has that phone with them all the time. And I've taken, you know, I take tens if not hundreds of pictures a day. Sometimes it's hundreds, sometimes it's 10. It's never zero. I'm always just playing with the phone. And, and if you if you're a leader and you have some of the metaphors that I've talked about or the lessons I've talked about today, You can put those into practice, you know, when you're sitting at dinner or whether you're walking, taking a walk between buildings. Uh, It it really is true. I I did a, worked with some people from from Merrill Lynch in New York, and they all went back with their their iPhones. And one guy sent me a incredible uh, series of photographs, all had skyscrapers and clouds in Manhattan. And the, he wrote a little essay and the essay was, I never looked up. He said, I've worked here for 20 years. I didn't even know there were clouds in Manhattan. So the iPhone had so shifted his perspective. And he said, it's, it's I keep it in mind every day with everything I'm doing.
0: DeWitt, you know, in many ways, as I'm listening to you, you're challenging some conventional business wisdom around how perspective is a fresh lens in a leadership role. Because a lot of us are taught on draw on our own fields of experience, look for patterns. And we come to meetings and, and decisions where we make those decisions based on what we've done in the past. And I think it's fair to say it limits our appreciation, the appreciation for other people's perspectives and genius because we're paid to have the answers and often we make our answers drawn on our previous, perhaps successful but narrow you know, uh, position So I'm I'm just thinking of all the decisions I've made that I felt were convicted based on what my experience was when perhaps I may well have shut down valid perspectives from other points of view.
1: Scott, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. All of that working that you just articulated is incredibly important. But if we stop there, if we don't take the time and to to play, to challenge our beliefs, to push them back and forth, and, and and not to change direction all the time. I'm not saying that, you know, you have to make decisions and set goals and set strategies, but on the other time, you're always pushing, you're always looking for that next right answer.
0: We're putting up now the photograph of the gentleman with the American flag shirt. Walk us through this series of perspectives.
1: Okay. so. Uh, it was a, um, a 4th of July parade in Ojai, uh, California, and I'm looking for the story of the 4th of July parade. And I also like to think in metaphor. So the minute I saw this guy's shirt, I went, oh my God, you know, he's not, he's not just an old man in an American flag shirt. As he walked in front of the float that he was standing there by, I'm I, in my mind, I'm saying he is an American flag and uh i moved around till i got him where i could actually see the stripes of his shirt become the stripes of the float and then after i took the shot i cropped in on it and made it so that he actually became an american flag so metaphoric thinking is is really helpful in 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 playing with new ideas and you can see that move from a shot that in the beginning is pretty much nothing to a shot that's graphically beautiful and powerful and, and, and sends a message.
0: Did those pictures publish anywhere besides your social media? No,
1: that, that set of pictures I'd love to publish somewhere, but I, I didn't, I just went up on social media.
0: DeWitt, for everybody who's right now on Google searching how to follow you, before we go to the doer's ad, talk a bit about how people want to, you know, be, be a, a member of your community can follow you. What, what's the best place to join you on the net?
1: Uh, the best place two places. One is well, three DewittJones.com has a big gallery of a lot of my work. That's my personal page. I have another uh, thing that's very close to my heart called celebrate what's uh, because I've always felt that the geographic did that. It celebrates what's right in the world and that's why people keep them. And this is a whole uh, site around that idea of going out and celebrating what's right with the world. Um, and there's a lot of my images there. And then you can follow my, uh, my fan page on Facebook, um, DeWitt Jones fan page. And uh, I publish things, I put up pictures every day.
0: The, this Good. next seven series of slides has a whole story to it with um, the ad campaign, I think it was in Scotland. Walk us through this journey.
1: Okay, so here's, and, and again, now think back of everything that I've said uh in this little interview and think about the lessons and i i go to scotland i'm shooting for doers there's a lot of money on the line there are a lot of clients i have a crew i'm supposed to shoot salmon fishing in scotland's river tweed and i have these images in my mind of this tumbling brook and beautiful salmon leaping and gorgeous light and we get there and it looks like the east sandusky river
0: (laughs) it's
1: a river without drama so Everything I thought was going to happen, it wasn't happening, at least when we got there. And so I start to dig into what does happen here. What is this really about? What's the story? And I find that fishing in Scotland is a very formal affair. They have guides and gillies that know each stretch of the river uh, that are dressed in a coat and a tie and chest waders. And they have a leather book on each beat of the river that has every salmon caught in it in the last 150 years. And now I was getting intrigued. Now I'm getting into it. And then I'm listening, I'm listening to, where is the story gonna be? And at that point, one of the Gillies says, you know, there was mist on the water this morning. Do it. That's unusual for this time of year. And I climb all over it. And I said, well, that's my place of most potential. So I'm out there the next day and I've got the fisherman and I got the boats and I got the gilly and I got a moon set and I got room up there at the top of the frame for type. And and I know what I'm doing, you know, and I got my first right answer. But then there's something in my intuition said, turn around, do it. And I turned around and now there's this beautiful purple light coming up. And so I got the two gillies up there in silhouette the gilly and the fisherman uh, and got another right answer. And then I realized that the sun is going to come up behind those trees down there. So I yelled at the guys to get in the boat. They rowed down there and now I was getting just right answer after right answer after right answer as the sun changed. and talking about having my technique down, I've got a walkie talkie in that boat. So I'm able to have him have them move exactly where I want them in the frame. And here's the final frame that said, uh, why would a man rise before dawn to fish for salmon on Scotland's River Tweed? Why indeed, Would good things in life stay that way. And that was one of the most successful ads they ever had.
0: It's like being behind the scenes of a movie production, right? I mean, you see this and you never, as the consumer, appreciate the art and the, the, the heart that goes into building to this crescendo. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, if you think back to the initial image, which was awful, to thinking that there's more than one right answer, to pushing for that, to putting yourself in the place of most potential and then not stopping, you know, I could have stopped at the first one, it would have been a good ad, it wouldn't have been as good as the last one. Uh, Not being afraid to make mistakes, pushing myself toward that and, and, and doing it as a both and with all my, with all my technique there at the ready.
0: In our final couple of minutes here, I want to pay tribute to your sense of positivity. You're not ignorant of all the challenges in the world. In fact, your TED Talk, I highly recommend. It's very relatable and inspiring. But you spend a lot of your time and message on hope and gratitude and what's right with the world and how releasing yourself kind of from the bonds of your own perspective can help in relationships and your legacy and as a leader. Let's talk to these last four images as you speak to Why have you gravitated towards such a positive message? I mean, it's the obvious, but it's really kind of a fresh space in the world right now. You know,
1: I ask myself, why do people keep the geographics? You know, for years, they pack them up and they travel with them. They they support their basement with large yellow columns that they save forever. They pass them down. That's ridiculous. There's no other magazine that ever has had that legacy to it and and i think the reason is is because they do celebrate what's right with the world they don't they don't deny the pain and suffering that's out there but they put it in a larger perspective where you can see all the beauty and good uh in the world and when you do that you develop a sense of gratitude and you know we have 24-hour news that tells us what's wrong with the world over and over again Yet most of our lives are pretty nice on a day-to-day basis if we step back and 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 think about it. So I've always done that. I've always, uh, uh, because I worked for The Geographic, I, I have just had this idea that, that my life was a lot better when I celebrated what was right in it. And when I started, uh, if there was a conflict, I want to start with what brings us together that rather than what separates us. And, and, and remember that so that the, the conflict we, we may be having is doesn't get blown out of proportion, that it has a proportionality to the bigger picture. Uh, and every time I lose that, all I have to do is walk out in nature. And the, to me, as as a beauty hunter, the beauty of nature always brings me back to a sense of gratitude that i'm conscious on this tiny little piece of rock floating in this gigantic universe the privilege of being alive and breathing on this planet really makes all my problems just fade to very minor things inconveniences i'll get through those if i can work from a state of gratitude so I, I put out a lot of beauty in the world. I put myself in front of a lot of beauty in the world. And I think that that gives us energy. It gives us the energy to fix what's wrong, or even nicer, the energy to look for that next right answer. And so that's really what I've, that's, that's been the bedrock of my philosophy for a very long time.
0: DeWitt, in a moment, we're gonna come back to your beautiful mug on your porch in Molokai, but this, this picture we're watching across this sort of waterfalls, it's got a great leadership metaphor around, you know, there's, there, there's sort of hope in the future, right? There's all these challenges and you can see the calm of the lake and the sun rising up. Where is this photo taken?
1: This photograph is taken in Lake Tahoe, it's Eagle Falls, a lot of people go there. Uh, you know what, it's also saying, don't be afraid to go with the flow. It's also saying it doesn't have to be a struggle, uh, but it is showing you that, that shining light out there and at the same time surrounding you in beauty. Uh, so I, I'd like people to, you know, to be able to set goals for companies to be able to set goals and to strive for them. And it isn't always easy, but they are always in a sense surrounded by beauty and that that the, that it, it I don't know. There's a lot of talk in business of struggle and and competition and and uh, and and fighting and winning. And I find some of those uh, some of those images very debilitating. Uh, I work much better when I'm when I'm in joy than when I'm in pain. And uh, I can put a lot of um, a lot of energy toward toward solving a problem. Uh, Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors, was asked what the what the core values of the of that team were, which has won three of the last four championships. And he said, and this blew me away, he said, joy, mindfulness, compassion, and fourth was competition. And, and you know, th- that team plays with more joy than any sporting team I've ever ever seen. And win. Uh, And the companies I know that I think are really great are also joyful. Um, They love what they do and that energy allows them to face struggle in
0: a very different way. DeWitt, if a company wants to hire you to come in and talk to their employees about this message, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Uh, If you go to my website, I have a woman who books all my dates. Her her name is Monique. You'll love her. Uh, Her her number is there on the website. Uh, Or you can just write info at DeWittJones.com and uh, and
0: she'll get right back to you. That's so great. DeWitt, as we finish this conversation, uh, besides your family, if you had one final day on earth to photograph, where and what would that be?
1: Oh, boy. I actually think it'd be um, it'd be here on Molokai. I've I've seldom found a place more beautiful in the world. I have several that I could name. I love the Sierra Nevada. I love Yosemite. I love being in the Southwest, especially the Grand Canyon. I've been down that river twenty times, and I got married at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Uh, but um, I'm also here, right here in Molokai. In a, in a place that resonates in my heart. So if I had uh, one day to live, I'd probably just stay right here looking off this porch. I wish I could show you the view, but it's really spectacular.
0: Awesome, DeWitt, such an honor to have you. Your inspiration, your work, your, your creativity around bringing to life the leadership messages in your photographies while we had you today. Thank you for your time. Thanks for getting up so early in Molokai to join us here in the set in Salt Lake and looking forward to switching homes in February or March. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, sir. Great talking to you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hope you got some inspiration out of today's conversation with the genius, uh, inspiring Dwight Jones, and we'll see you back here on Leadership next week with a new guest and a new topic. Thanks so much.